everyone. This is Patrick Ridgel with Transamerica, and welcome to another edition of Market Pulse with Transamerica Asset Management Chief Investment Officer, Tom Wald. Tom, welcome back. Thank you, Patrick. Nice to be back. Now, Tom, we're heading into the final stretch of the year, which, of course, has been a pretty tough one for both stocks and bonds. And I believe with that backdrop in mind, you have some interesting thoughts as to what might be some market catalysts for the year ahead, as in what developments potentially providing upside for the markets, and maybe, in your opinion, flying a notch or two below the radar, so to speak. Yes, that's right, Patrick. And I'll begin by reiterating what you just said uh, in that uh, this past year has been a a difficult one for investors, Mm -hmm. both stock and bond investors. Uh, And as I've said a few times over the past several months, there really has been nowhere to hide in this market uh, since about this time last year. So I I don't want to downplay that at all. However, I do think that long-term investors always have to keep in mind that markets are the great discounters of future events. And when either resolutions to investor concerns or simply the conclusions of negative cycles become apparent, Markets can react favorably, mm-hmm. and that's what we could uh, be looking at to some extent in 2023. So, Tom, along those lines, I do want to catch up with you on something that was getting a good bit of attention about a month mm-hmm. ago, and then it seemed to fade a bit from the headlines, at least mm-hmm. from a market perspective, which were the congressional midterm elections. Now, in your view, there's some pertinent history to consider here that could prove to be relevant in your head. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes. And, and it's kind of interesting, Patrick, in, in that uh, as someone who has been following and staying up late into the night and early mornings watching election results since 1968 when I was in early grade school, mm-hmm. there has typically been the expectation that we will know all the winners and losers uh, in about 24 hours time, if not sooner. And, and I think we're now clearly entering an era where that is no longer the case. As voting behaviors have changed dramatically in the past few years, there are a lot more people voting by mail as opposed to in person. And as a result, it simply takes longer to count those votes uh, and a, a more elongated time frame, in some cases weeks, uh, to know with certainty uh, who won and who lost. Mm-hmm. And when you have 435 elections in the House of Representatives and another uh, 34 in the Senate, and many of those contests turned out being a lot closer than most uh, may have thought, it wound up taking a lot longer to declare the final results, as in weeks and not days, and we still have a couple of house races yet to be called. Uh, But regardless of how long it it all took, I think there are still some interesting takeaways for investors uh, based on the final results. So before we jump into those specifically from a market perspective, what was your overall read on the elections? Uh, Yes. Well, clearly, what I think history will remember most about the 2022 midterm elections is that Democrats fared a lot better uh, than most anticipated. uh, And given uh, the circumstances of uh, being the party in power and during a time of really harsh inflation, Democrats performed exceptionally well in maintaining control of the Senate uh, and losing only a marginal number of houses, a marginal number of seats in the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going into Election Day, there was a great deal of talk about a quote unquote red wave and big gains for Republicans in both the House and Senate. That wave did not happen. A lot of the polling was really off. And while the Republicans did gain back control of the House, 
it was not by the margins uh, they expected. So I think the headline has to be Democrats overachieved and Republicans underachieved, at least versus expectations. Although from an investment point of view, we do have to recognize that there was a change of control in the House of Representatives, which does result now in divided party leadership in Washington. And historically speaking, there could be some connotations to that from a purely market perspective, of course. Okay. And what would some of those connotations be? All right. Uh, Here's where the history gets a bit interesting. Uh, Since the end of World War II, there have been 19 midterm congressional elections prior to this uh, most recent one last month. In all of those cases, the S&P 500 generated a positive total return over the following 12 months with an average total return for each of those post-election, post-midterm election years of plus 17 percent. This was considerably higher than the cumulative annualized total return in the market since November 1946 through September 2022 of plus 11%. Okay, so over the past 75 years or so, in years following midterm elections, the markets have averaged about a 6% higher return than the long-term average over that total period of time. Certainly, that sounds statistically significant. So what's the premise behind those higher returns? Well, I, I should probably start with the disclaimer that during all those all these years following midterm elections, uh, there were, of course, countless other factors and variables that work in the markets impacting stock prices. And we were no, by no means suggesting those election results were the major reasons or perhaps even a major reason in each of those cases. But as you said, a 6% differential versus uh, the long-term average is statistically significant. So what could be at work here, at least from an all-else-being-equal standpoint. And I think the predominant theory behind this pertains to the notion that the political party out of power typically gains seats in Congress during these off-cycle midterm elections. And the markets, again, all-else-being-equal, prefer divided leadership, uh, perhaps also known as gridlock in Washington. Uh, Now, again, does that fully account for a 6% differential versus the longer term market average? I I don't think anyone's really making that argument in and of itself. But could this uh, be historical evidence of a more likely than not incremental tailwind for the market in post midterm election years? I I think that's a more legitimate argument. Now, Tom, I believe you also done some research on the circumstances regarding the specifics of this most recent election and how that ties in that with that history, too. Uh, yes, Patrick. Looking more granularly into the individual specifics of this year's elections provides an even more interesting perspective in our judgment. Over the past century, there had only been four midterm elections occurring during the first term of a newly elected president in which the control of the House of Representatives changed from the incumbent president's party to the opposing party, signifying not just a gain in the political party out of power, but a direct reversal from single party leadership in Washington 
to dual party leadership, as was the case this past November. So in other words, the precise circumstances of this past November's elections have only taken place four other times over the past century, those being in 1954, 1994, 2010, and 2018. In that smaller but more directly comparable sample to the recently concluded midterm election just experienced, the 12 months following those changes of control in the House of Representatives and shift from single-party leadership to divided-party leadership in Washington saw annualized total returns to the S&P 500 averaging 23%. Mm. Now, again, I'm not saying the one-year market returns following those more similar instances to what we just experienced were necessarily driven by those election results. But again, the big upside differentials in the historical returns of those specific and more comparable post-election years do maybe infer a higher probability of a stronger market returns in years immediately following midterm elections when Washington officially shifts from single party to divided party leadership during a president's first term, such as what we just experienced. Mm. That's that's interesting stuff. What what else do you want to add on about the elections? Uh, just one more uh, point, Patrick. Uh, and again, this is from a purely market oriented, aka non political perspective, okay. uh, which is the shift to a Republican controlled House of Representatives. For the most part, pretty much eliminates the prospect of any federal tax hikes on either individuals or corporations for the next two years which, all else being equal, uh, is likely to be applauded uh, by the markets, adding uh, a little bit of tangible fundamental fuel uh, to history's uh, divided government pre preference. Uh, again, Patrick, that's simply a market observation, not any sort of political commentary. Of course. So that is all some very interesting market history that we'll keep an eye on over the next year. But now I want to turn to something more in the news every day that investors are quite fixated on, and that being, of course, the Federal Reserve and interest rates. I believe you have some interesting historical observations here, too. Uh, yes, Patrick. I think most people are familiar with the term. Don't fight the Fed. And, and this past year was a pretty good example of that in terms of what can happen to stocks and bonds during an aggressive monetary tightening and rate hike cycle, such as we experienced this past year, as both short and long term interest rates uh, have moved up material. But what about after that? Uh, now, given the fierce downside response we've seen this past year to this ongoing Fed tightening cycle, there could be a favorable reaction for equities at the point in time when the Fed officially pauses on rate hikes, perhaps at a level of about 5% or so on the Fed funds rate, which we think could occur sometime in the first half of 2023. And what might be some historical parallels to refer to here? I think would be in February of 1995, the Fed finished a year long tightening cycle in which they had raised the Fed funds rate from three and a quarter to six percent to proactively prevent an inflationary cycle following a strong economic recovery going on at that time. In the year to follow from February 1995 to February 1996, the S&P 500 posted a total return of better than 39 percent. And in December of 2018, 
The Fed completed three years of on and off rate hikes, resulting in an increase in the Fed funds rate from zero to 2.25%. One year later, in December of 2019, the S&P 500 achieved a total return of more than 29%. Again, Patrick, just want to emphasize the context. There were a lot of other things going on in the markets in the years following the end of these two rate hike cycles I just mentioned. So I'm not making the case we're necessarily going to see market returns in the year ahead similar in magnitudes to what I just referenced. But is there something here to infer a potential end to the current Fed tightening cycle could be incrementally positive for stocks? I think there very well could be. And I think you might be a proponent that the same could potentially be said if we get a meaningful reduction in the rate of inflation during the year ahead. Uh, that's right, Patrick. Uh, yeah. a, a few historical reference points here as well. Uh, now, as we know, uh, we were uh, coming off more than a decade in which inflation, as defined by the Consumer Price Index or CPI, had averaged about 2% annually prior to uh, 2021 versus its century-long uh, annual average uh, of about 3.2%. And uh, during this past year, we hit the highest levels uh, of inflation in more than 40 years. So we had to go back a ways for some historical case examples of stocks in the years following the peak of an inflationary cycle. But nonetheless, uh, still some pretty interesting history, in my opinion. The first inflationary cycle of the 1970s peaked in December 1974 when CPI reached a year-over-year -year reading of more than 12%. One year later, in December of 1975, CPI had declined on a year-over-year -year basis to a rate of just below 7%, and the S&P 500 had posted a total return in excess of 31% over that time. A few years later, a second leg of this inflationary cycle occurred, leading to a peak rate on the CPI of 14.7% in April of 1980. One year thereafter, CPI declined to 10%, and the S&P 500 had experienced over that time a total return of 25%. And in November of 1990, following the Iraq invasion of Kuwait the previous summer, CPI peaked uh, in that cycle at 6.3% before declining to 3% a year later. During that time, the S&P 500 generated a total return of more than 29%. Same caveats here, Patrick. Lots of other factors influencing the markets during these years following inflationary cycle peaks. So I'm not forecasting returns of the same magnitude. But there is enough of a historical inference, in my judgment, here that if the rate of core inflation does come down during the first half of 2023 to, let's say, about the 4% range, as we believe could very well be the case, there could be a strong probability of another potential incremental tailwind for the markets in the year ahead. Tom, those are very interesting lessons in market history. Should we take a shot at a quick summary of what we covered just now in terms of what could be some incremental upside for the markets in 2023, perhaps that are not fully anticipated just yet? Sure. Okay, let's start with the aftermath of the U.S. midterm elections. Yes, history infers, all else being equal, of course, that the year following midterm elections with similar results to what we have just experienced last month 
could help to provide some incremental upside momentum for stocks. Okay, how about Federal Reserve interest rate policy? Yes, history also infers, all else being equal, that years following the conclusions of Federal Reserve rate hike cycles, similar to what we believe could be the case in the first half of 2023, could also prove to be an incremental tailwind for stocks in the year ahead. Okay, and how about inflation? Yes, history also refers, again, all else being equal, that peaks of the inflationary cycle and declining rates of inflation to follow, which we believe might also fully play out in the first half of 2023, could also be incrementally positive for stocks in the year ahead. Okay, good deal. Todd, thank you for these historical insights. As always, they also serve as a great segue to our upcoming podcast, which will be your Transamerica 2023 Market Outlook. And that will certainly be a conversation our listeners will not want to miss. So we'll definitely look forward to that. That's coming up very soon. Yes, we will. Excellent. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Patrick. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Indexes are unmanaged and an investor cannot invest directly in an index. Equities are subject to market risk, meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Growth stocks typically are particularly sensitive to market movements and may involve larger price swings because their market prices tend to reflect future expectations. Growth stocks as a group may be out of favor and underperform the overall equity market for a long period of time, for example, while the market favors value stocks. Value investing carries the risk that the market will not recognize the security's intrinsic value for a long time or that an undervalued stock is actually appropriately priced. Investments in global slash international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused substantial market disruption and dislocation around the world, including the U.S. Economies and financial markets throughout the world are increasingly interconnected. Economic, financial, or political events, trading and tariff arrangements, terrorism, technology and data interruptions, natural disasters, and other circumstances in one or more countries or regions could be highly disruptive to and have profound impacts on global economies or markets. The information included in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate, are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. Two, five, eight, four, zero, four, nine.